Welcome to the Omarpreneur Live podcast. On this episode with me today, I have my good friend, Rami Yahya, and he is the co-founder of Custom Heats. Now, for those of you who haven't watched our previous episode where I talked to him, so I brought him on for episode number three. We talked about Custom Heats, about getting an investment and how they got on the show. But today I wanted to bring him on to talk about something a little different. And what I want to talk about today is essentially his ability to identify business trends in the market. Because with his company, Custom Heats, they were able to go viral and they were able to land on the hit show Dragon's Den. So I want to know what are his strategies behind going viral, behind identifying these trends and how he creates businesses and products that are able to capitalize on that. So, Rami, alaikum. thank you so much for joining me today, man. It's an Aikos honor. Salam. Yeah, it's always great to be here. Um, just want to piggyback on the last talk that we had, which was amazing, and uh, hopefully be able to share some insightful information on how to get how to go viral on the internet. 100%. And I'm no, I know that you're the right person for this, just based on the number of conversations that we had and uh, all the discussions that we have so very often. And every time I talk to you, you have a new strategy, you have a new idea that you're kind of brewing up and that's related to something that's happening that's current, that's right now, that's in the market. So I want to find out a little bit more about that. But before we dive in, man, can you just share with the audience, with our first time viewers who don't know your story, a little bit about how you founded Custom Heats? What did that journey look like and the whole process? Yeah, so Custom Heats was created in like, uh, I think it was... Um... August 2017 or 2018. And basically what happened is that um, I was uh, kind of finishing my, uh, my, my university degree and I didn't want to just hop into the, uh, into the uh, labor force or whatever too quickly. I wanted to give a chance, uh, just an offer, just to try myself out with, uh, in the whole business field, right? So I come from a family of entrepreneurs. My parents owned a lot of, uh, owned a couple of shops in, uh, in Canada. And I remember just like being super, um, super, uh, um, how do we say this, inspired by the concept of generating your own source of income, right? right. I mean, wh whether you, you would make a killing or not, it really doesn't matter, right? You could only hold yourself accountable. I mean, I wouldn't even call it necessarily financially, financial freedom. It's just seeking, it's just rewarding to know that you are able to just provide for yourself. And you also have complete flexibility to do, uh, to work, I mean, to, to, for when it comes, you're wearing multiple hats, right? So you're wearing the, yeah. the marketer hat, the accounting hat, uh, you're taking all the business decisions and you can only take your, you're the only person that you could hold uh, accountable, whether the, uh, the decisions work out or not, right? Yeah. So um, before before getting into, before trying myself, uh, before trying uh, my, my online business, I just, uh, kind of did software development gigs, gigs on the internet, right? So I would apply to, I would I would basically uh, um, uh, make bids on projects on freelancer.com and then take the, and then take one of the lower bids and then hire the, I would get the bid for the, I would basically get the, 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 the gig for the, for the project, right? And then I would outsource the project to one of the lower bids. Right. And wow. uh, it turned out to, I mean, it worked a bit, right? I mean, it was it, for like a university st student, right? It was like, somewhat of a good amount of money that I was making on this. Um, it was flexible. I could do this whenever I want. But the only problem is that it was very hard to scale. And I honestly wasn't really satisfied with the outcome of the 
of the work that was being done in the sense where a lot of times the project didn't work out and um, it was just, um, it, it was uh, just, it wouldn't pass my threshold of quality assurance, right? Mm -hmm. So I decided to, um, to then just go towards e-commerce um, e where um, it's a proven model of being able to scale, right? So um, whatever, if you're able to get two, three sales, you know, get a very low customer acquisition cost, you could easily scale up. And this is what I found extremely interesting. It's also what's very interesting about this is that it requires a very uh, minimal investment, um, mm. at least uh, just to get the ball rolling, right? So uh, you could start an, an online business and e-commerce with $1,000, just like you could start one with $10,000 or $100,000, right? So it was a good way to kind of hedge your risk. You start slow and eventually scale up when the demand comes in. So um, really, our, my, my minimal viable product, my MVP, was just creating a Facebook, uh, sorry, an Instagram page where I posted a picture being like coming soon, the first customized hot sauce platform in the world. So um, I wanted to pause on that for a little second. What made you think of creating, you know, that's what you're known for. And for all of us, you know, there's, there's a lot of um, people joining us right now. And, you know, you as a founder of Custom Heats and you, and you really did create the first customized hot sauce platform that caters to the consumer market. What made you think of that in the first place? Why did you identify that as something that could possibly take off? Because that's that's the main topic of this podcast, right? Yeah. I want to know what was your thinking behind that. So um, basically, um, the if you if we, we could look at this into um, into two different ways, right? I mean, we could either look at this into the whole um, data aspect. I could prove to you that there's a, a a big market for hot sauce just by looking at charts and graphs of the hot sauce industry, looking at its year uh, year over year growth. Um, so that's one way of seeing it, right? You could either look at the whole analytic side or what you could also do is just look at popular culture, right? Mm -hmm. um, there, I mean, you could, a lot of brands right now are partnering up with Franks and Sriracha to make cool clothing. You could probably find these types of shirts at Zara or, or H&M. And that just shows that there's, um, uh, hot sauce is joining popular culture. Uh, right. You're seeing Hillary Clinton, I think, uh, and Beyonce came out with... Uh, with uh, with uh, uh, with like uh, statements and interviews, being like, I have a bottle of hot sauce in my bag at all times. So there's there's obviously something. Um, it's like kind of a meme, but it's also um, a condiment that people are deeply passionate about. And what's very special about about hot sauce is that um, I mean, it's it's uh, the type of consumer good that. Um, can very easily be um, uh, tweaked and improved in a sense where uh, people who, I mean, we, we usually call Frank's Red Hot and Sriracha the gateway drug to the hot sauce market, right? So right. Uh, no one comes in and says, I want to buy a $15 bottle of hot sauce. You usually get there after you're, you got sick and tired of Frank's and Sriracha, right? And what's interesting is, is that there's like thousands of different ways of doing it. So there's really space in the market for everyone. I mean. I would, you would never hear a business owner asking for more competition, but I would honestly tell the followers today listening to us that you, you, there, there's an ability for everyone to join the hot sauce market and not even uh, steal market share from me in a sense where we're all selling a different product and we're all just benefiting off of each other. Mm -hmm. um, 
I mean, uh, obviously, this it wouldn't be the best place to talk about this, right? But it's a bit like the wine industry, for example, right? Where uh, people will just try around different products and everyone's a winner. Um, so that's uh, that's a bit what really brought us into there, right? But if 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 but all the, all I mean, we could then convert the whole Hillary Clinton, Beyonce, and all these uh, celebrities talking about hot sauce with uh, concrete data that you could find um, through your. Uh, I mean, through I mean, if you're in university right now, you usually have access to uh, to uh, these business analytics documents, right? So there's market research being done by these big firms every year that are published, and it just shows the constant growth of an, of just basically every single industry. But I looked at the one specific to the condiment industry and it was showing 12% growth year over year, while the rest of the condiment industry was only increasing by two or 3%. So, mm-hmm. so we're seeing that the increase in, uh, in, in, in market size comes from more and more people gaining an interest in it, right? And people are spending now much more uh, on hot sauce than they used to before. So if you look at my fridge right now, I have maybe one bottle of $3 ketchup from Heinz or maybe, I don't know, maybe four or $5. But I also have like my very own Carolina Reaper uh, hot sauce that is like $12, $13 on Amazon. I have uh, another, um, I have a Mad Dog 357 bottle that costs like maybe $9 or $12 again. So the thing is, is that people are able, to, are looking to, to try new stuff, try new flavors when it comes to hot sauce. And uh, and really, that's that's what we're looking to do. We're trying to get into popular culture, find what people are uh, are uh, are interested in, find ways to be able to charge a premium product, right? So I'm selling a fifteen dollar bottle of hot sauce, which is maybe five times uh, more expensive than the regular bottle of hot sauce that you find at the grocery store. Right. So you need to find a way to justify the premium price point, right? So, and the best way to do this is by finding a niche within the market and hope that it's a larger niche than you, than, than, than our competitors think it is. Right. Right. So this could be done by either uh, targeting a specific uh, population in the market. Right. So you could see this with uh, certain companies doing. um, So for example, in China, uh, there's um, a type of pepper called Sichuan peppercorn. Um, okay. which is it's uh their standards of spiciness is not like uh western standards of spiciness so um you know how like when we find something spicy it like burns your uh, tongue and and your throat but the szechuan peppercorn uh, peppercorn um doesn't burn your throat or your tongue it kind of numbs it right mm. so it's like a complete different sensation and it's still considered a hot sauce so that's like a specific market that you know you know that not everyone is going to buy it, but that you have at least a significant a, a portion of that popu- of of the hot sauce market that will buy it, and it's large enough for you to make a a, a killing. So profit. a profit, right? Mm. So um, so this is like so that's one way, right? It's like targeting a specific uh, uh, market, uh, a, a specific ethnic group, or a specific uh, taste profile. The other way would be improving on experience, right? So, um, so there's a company right there um, which is called um, oh, I, um, hmm, I forgot what they're called, but basically they do a monthly box subscription of hot sauce, right? So, this is a different experience where um, 
people will buy uh, maybe $20, $30 a month and you get maybe six different bottles. They're much smaller, but you're able to sample a bit more. And it's somewhat of a better experience. Mm-hmm. Um, and then so they're taking what's already out there and they're like packaging it for the consumer. Yeah. And it's just like, it's, it's, a, it's just a, it's a, it's a friendlier experience and that there's space in the market, right? And then you have other companies like myself that just decided to just offer a, a platform a bit in this, uh, it goes a bit hand in hand with the whole um, uh, unique experience uh, aspect, right? Where we're allowing customers to customize their own hot sauce. Um, and I think that, um, I mean, I have a tiny graph that I started preparing. I don't know if right now is the best moment to share it. Uh, Go but for it. Go for it. Basically, the way the way the, the basically the, the way the market uh, behaves is we're all individuals um, who make up together the the market size right so let's just say um we are all this big graph over here of people and then uh this guy here is the person who enjoys mild hot sauce this is the people who um like extremely hot hot sauce this is the people who are looking for a unique experience. Basically, everyone on this graph is a different experience that we're looking for. And the purpose of companies is to try to recreate this curve, right? And that would be supplying the demand, right? So this is the demand. And then uh, as companies, we're supposed to supply um, we're supposed to supply this demand. So you'll, you'll, you'll find like a company like Sri Racha right? Which is one of the, it, let's just let's just call it like a medium type of hot sauce. Um, quite, I mean, it's, it's spicier than Frank's Red Hot and they're able to mass produce. And what they're basically going to do is they're going to try to fit this. Uh, they're going to develop a product that will then cover, that will try to cover as much as possible from, um, from this graph that I'm doing. Right. And then basically there's while there, while these big companies are trying to uh, cover the market, we see here is what I call. Uh, I need to find a better way to draw here, but this is what I call. Um, this is what I call here the gap in the market. Right. This is where their product is the best one available to suit the demand, but it's not right yet. Right. So maybe the reason why it's because it's not hot enough or it's too hot, and this is where we come into place. We're going to be the companies that are going to try to build a graph that is going to like just um, my drawing is completely awful, but I hope you guys understand. We're just going to try to build these. These we're just going to try to build uh, to beat the offering of our competitors, or try to tackle these markets that our competitors are just taking because no one else is doing it, and no one's doing it good enough. So. Mm-hmm. So I want to ask you a question about that because so are you saying because we have this graph here and for those of you listening if you're if you're listening to this after we record and you're on Spotify or Google podcasts uh, you can look at the actual visual of the graph if you watch the YouTube video uh, as well to for, for the video footage but essentially we have a graph here we have a line on the top and we have you know different points across and essentially each point represents a population now I want to ask you a question because should a company essentially what are you communicating here that if we're developing a, a company and this is not only for hot sauce, but it could be for any person, whether you provide a service or a product or any type of offer, should you be catering? Are you trying to cater to every person across that graph to every single market? Are you trying to create, or should you cater to a specific niche within that market? 
So, so I mean, it always it depends. Yeah, it always depends. Um, what kind of? I mean, uh, we are, um, we are. Um, I, we, I mean, I started this business with barely five thousand dollars in my pocket, right? So, I mean, all in all, uh, we, we obviously didn't have the funding to, to, uh, to, to try to make the the a product that will um, meet the needs of the entire market of the entire market, right? So, what we tried to do is instead. We use this graph to kind of understand what's being offered, and but also what do customers really want? Because at the end of the day, uh, there's, I mean, as much as we, look, the, the reason why we invest in marketing is to try to convince the demand that our supply is the right one. So we try to, the supply is trying to lead the discussion in, into what the demand wants. But mm-hmm. the fact is, is that at the end of the day, it's the consumers that are, that are that is king and that decides what the supply should do. The only mm-hmm. thing is, is that, the supply has its the companies have their own processes, they have their own branding, and they don't want to reinvest their money into reshaping the evolving needs of the of the market. So this is where uh, it's advantages for us newcomers into this business who want to disrupt. We should what I'm trying basically the whole purpose of this graph could be replaced simply with what does what do consumers actually want and what is being offered? Because what I mean. This is our attempt to understanding what the market wants. And then basically we need to develop this, this understanding, this, this constant communication with the market that could either be backed by data or just having a, a, a feel for just by watching popular culture, having just looking at the TikTok, Facebook, Instagram, what do people basically want? And by then creating the products that will then fit this, this demand, right? Mm-hmm. So, um, I mean, um, I'm kind of more of the uh, opinion that uh, these big companies, right? When you look at Franks, basically when you look at French, when you look at Heinz, when you look at Kraft, these companies are losing more and more market cap, uh, market well, market cap and and market share. Market share, yeah. I mean, they're 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 not they're not performing too well. Investors are losing confidence in them, and that's because more and more people are looking for local products. More and more people are looking for unique. Uh, let's just say, like in the the peanut butter industry right now is. Uh, is uh, I think right now craft um, peanut butter is uh, is losing a lot of uh, space on grocery store shelves, mainly because the product has too many additives to make it shelf stable. So they produce it in one factory in, in in Canada or whatever, and then they ship it all across the country. So to do this, you need a product that won't expire in two weeks. You need it to expire in six months or a year, or yeah. even more. So so uh, but. But luckily, in in Montreal, in Toronto, and in, in uh, Vancouver, we have these small farmers markets, these small mom and pop uh, um, business owners that are able to make these smaller scale peanut butter jars. It doesn't matter if it expires in two weeks because they're just supplying their own um, local grocery stores, and people are more interested in this, right? So Kraft Heinz is not losing to another comp- to one single competitor. They're losing against maybe um, 300 mom and pop shops all across in, in different fields, in different cities. And collectively, they're building better local products that caters to the local population, that is branded to its local population, that people relate to a lot easier, e- easily. And that's just translating in um, just general uh just loss of market share by these larger companies right 
So that's that's basically, um, I mean, basically that's 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 where the trends are heading towards. All right, and I want to ask you a question because we mentioned like TikTok, we mentioned uh, social media platforms, and I think social media is a really big thing because even lately, like we thought that's it, Facebook was the only thing, and then Instagram came out, and then it was like, okay, Instagram is like the next thing, and then Snapchat came out. Some some social media platforms come out and they die, like Vine and. Uh, uh, and other platforms that just kind of, you know, have a, a short time of day and then they fade away. Mm -hmm. How, like, how, how can someone stay on top of, you know, consumer behavior and, and their adoption of certain platforms? Like right now, there's one that's coming out recently. It's called Clubhouse. Not sure if you've heard of it, but it's uh, essentially, an, yeah, it's an, it's, it's still invite only. You can't really sign up. So, and it's essentially just an audio only platform, but it's a social media platform, audio only. And I know we were talking uh, a few days ago about TikTok, about how, you know, the, the first few people that signed up and that, you know, were active on TikTok have been growing massively. And mm -hmm. even to this day, it's still not fully tapped, but it's still something that, that can be. So I want to ask you, how do you, how do you identify that? Like how, well, in your opinion, do you find that? Like which platforms should we go on? What should we, where should we be to... To, to you know be on top of those trends and and, and you kind of like climb on, on that wave right so so basically like um we we need to understand that um companies right now are pivoting towards cons like um the, the relationship between um consumers and and companies has changed in a sense where uh we used to be seen as consumers right i mean i'm a uh i'm a i don't know i i i, I buy products from from Videotron or, or sorry, uh, Bell or one of these big telecommunication companies. I buy from Kraft, Heinz, McDonald's, whatever. Um, however, this relationship is is um, is being redefined by the fact that right now the competitors, as I mentioned earlier, uh, since they're, they they need to to, to simulate this uh, this uh, proximity to, con to 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 the consumers. So we've changed the name from from being consumers to now we are a community. Right? right, and and now marketers are. I mean, it's it's slightly different, but they're it's being rebranded as just uh, community um, community managers, right? So what does that mean? It means that we uh, companies can, can uh, need the consume they need the consumers, and they need to be kept aware every day of what the consumers are doing. And in order to do this, you basically need to advertise wherever your 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 your, your consumers are. So you've reshaped your consumers into a community. And that community, you need to go where, wherever they are, right? So, I mean, mm -hmm. one thing that is super funny, it's um, it's on TikTok. Basically, every sport team, every sport team in the NFL will comment on videos of, like, football videos on TikTok, right? You'll see, like, there's, like, a couple of guys who, like, just uh, kick the football across the um, – American uh, American football, of course. Uh, they kick the football across the uh, – whatever, the, the goal net or whatever you want to call it, right? right. And the whole purpose of the of that trend is just to see how far you could shoot it from, and then you have all these football teams that are commenting like we should draft you, we should sign you, or whatever. And and they're obviously kidding, but but by doing this, they're creating really a kind of 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 proximity to the consumers that has never been able to to be done before. Mm -hmm. And if we really think about this, other than the salaries that these football teams are 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 paying, this is a hundred percent free. 
Right. Right. You this proximity, like there's actually there's a voice and a tone to companies. We see this with Wendy's on Twitter, just trolling and making memes of other uh, of other um, of other competitors, and that just really makes you. Uh, and it's not for everyone, but if this is what your community wants or needs, that's what you'll end up doing. And how do we keep up with the with the newest trends? Um, well, there's 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 uh, th it starts with developing a culture within your own organization and company, in the right. sense where, I mean, I mean, you could either always look at what other people are doing and then copy them, which is fine, right? Which is less risky, but also you'll always be one or two steps behind, which is which which could be fine if you're not looking to be the market leader of your industry or whatever. However, um, I I really encourage people to take risks in a right. sense where if Clubhouse is still new and 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 you kind of see value, uh, I mean basically I could summarize this by saying, don't do things because other people are doing it. Try to mm -hmm. see directly what's the real value behind it, and also try to see what do other people not see in it, right? Mm -hmm. Because for TikTok to be what it is today, you've needed companies, you've needed individuals to see the full potential and just double down on it right and now you see i mean if you look at mcdonald's i think they have three hundred thousand followers on tiktok and i have a couple of friends on tiktok right now that have five hundred thousand, right wow. and there's like these small restaurants that are at two million and and th that just shows that um if you have the proper tone voice expression if you're communicating everything in a proper way you'll be able to to catch the next wave and that just starts by having the proper culture within your organization are you an organizing? Is your company the type of company that favor that um, that that uh, uh, that is willing to accept failure uh, at the exchange of being able to take the necessary risks that will bring you success? Right. right. If you are, um, you need to be. Uh, I mean, there's a Bruce Lee quote. I don't know if it's Bruce Lee, but whatever. It's it's basically be like water, right? It is Bruce Lee. And, yeah. And 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 basically, what it means, it's like. I found it super silly this quote when I was like 16. I was like, "Who's this uh, this guy trying to hit us with some uh, with some philosophy, right?" But like, it really stuck to my head, and it's really like we should really be like water in a sense where we should uh, uh, remove our stubbornness and our uh, and I mean and, and our ego or whatever, whatever, and just really try to go with the flow and just fit wherever we can fit and situation. Yeah, and, and also expand because that's what water does, right? Yeah, 100%. And I want to piggyback off of that because we're having some really interesting topics around. I mean, I really appreciate it, man. I want to talk about uh, speed of implementation because a lot of times, you know, you look at these trends, these things that are coming up, these new platforms, uh, the, these changes in consumer behavior. Like, for example, right now, uh, an example of a trend um, could be, and especially I would call it a viral trend, would be, the the advent of ordering online whether it's food or groceries ever since the pandemic people haven't been leaving their homes right and we were just talking about this before the episode that you were testing instacart i believe which was a, a, an app for ordering groceries online uh, and this is now something that people who would have never thought of doing before um, are now forced almost to try to learn this new technology and, and and the consumer behavior has shifted from you know going out to a restaurant and going to get your groceries to now ordering in almost 90% of the time 
and you know having your groceries delivered to you. And so there's a clear change in consumer behavior. And this has caused companies, not only has it caused you know, companies like Uber and 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 uh, Skip the Dishes or DoorDash or these all these delivery companies to skyrocket in, in profit, but it's also cost online tech companies like Zoom. For example, if you invested in Zoom stock back in January, February, 2020, I mean, you'd be up, I think, over 30, 40% right now, right? I think even more uh, just because everyone's using Zoom now to communicate. But how, is there a way to, like could someone that's sitting like how how should you adopt the mindset of you know being in that situation and realizing wow okay being here means that consumer behavior is going to shift to online and so maybe there's certain steps that I should take in my business like is there a certain awareness that we should keep is there a process that you take is it reading the news every day is it like how do you just you know build up that awareness and keep up to date with what's happening in a way that you can then adapt in your business i was uh I was um, just uh, just last night before going to bed. I was watching a, a YouTube video uh, um, about um, buying real estate online. Okay, yeah. and uh, because I mean, like we, you know, first of all, buying shoes uh, ten years ago online seemed like a, a crazy idea that didn't make sense, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and now we're buying pretty much everything online, and I just want to see how far could it go. And I just saw a video yesterday about buying property online, right? And right. this is a company called Property Turkey. They they help uh, investors buy uh, real estate in Turkey, and they basically they were talking about how their sales dropped by nearly a hundred percent when the pandemic arrived because they rely on foreign investors, right? So they their website is in English, everything's in English. So to be able and the people who used to buy their properties would fly in from the Gulf, North America, Europe, and they would just go there and buy. And then they realized that a Zoom tour or a FaceTime call touring the apartment is not enough, right? Because right. You, you need to know what's the life around the building. You need to know how far it is from the airport. You need to know, you know, you need to, you need driving towards the property, as they mentioned, was pretty much just as much of a seller than the property itself, right? Right. And their solution to this was they put a GoPro on in front of the camera, in front of the car, and they would basically drive from their office to around the block and then into the, and then they would just tour the property. So that's something that like, I would have never thought of just putting a GoPro, a GoPro is like $200, $200. It's like, it's easy, right? It's, it's nothing expensive. And they would just live stream this entire process. It would right. really make it as if you were basically there. Right. I mean, the only thing you're missing out on is maybe the, the just the 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 the, the climate and these uh, non-visual uh, cues that you're able to get from a neighborhood, um, and that just made it seem that I mean, it it really blew my mind. And uh, just to link it back to what you were saying about uh, how do we just stay agile, right? Yes. Um, I, I think that um, I think that uh, you know. We, you know, are are we to not stay complacent into what our our daily operations are, in a sense where are we, you know, there's, are you doing regular SWOT analysis of your, of your, uh, of your, of your business? Are you looking at what your your strengths and weaknesses are at all mm-hmm. times? Are you able to? Right now, we, I mean, not many of us were able to anticipate the pandemic that happened in, in uh, February, March of 2020. 
Um, however, we're, we know what the general trends are, and we know what's what's what are the headaches and what's what's more convenient today right. in, in terms of doing businesses and doing doing business. So Uber Eats was invented, uh, God knows how many years ago. I, I mean, the first time I ordered was probably three three years ago, and uh, they doubled down from the pandemic. But prior to the pandemic, it was it was just as convenient before, right? Right. The pandemic just made it clear that um, we need that we need to develop more streamlined process into ordering food. So the thing is, is that we should always ask ourselves. Um, what can make our businesses uh what's the strength or what's the weakness of our business today and right. beyond the product right beyond the product it's are what are the, the the physical risks what are the i mean are we leading are we are we kept in touch with the different forms of innovation out there um i was just while i was watch, watching the property turkey video right the guy on the video mentioned how um uh, the first time he bought products online was during the pandemic, which I found a bit strange because I feel like I would, I mean, I don't even know how people traveled before the internet. Like, how would you buy a ticket, right? And you would probably buy it at the airport or call on the phone or whatever. But the thing is, is that it's much more convenient to buy tickets online, get a thousand quotes, be able to just choose your own route, have all all this flexibility. And uh, that just like, um, and that was only possible in the year in the early 2000s right. and until now because the internet was created right so what are these new infrastructures that have been that are out there that allow us to do business differently um n- now i mean one of the um one of the uh, new i mean one of the um, disruptive technologies coming out right now is um the 5g uh network Right. There was a lot of rumors about that, a lot of conspiracy theories too. <laughs> yeah, I mean, beyond the conspiracy theories, it's it's uh, just imagine uh, 4G or LTE, uh, but a thousand times faster. Right. Right. So we're, we're I mean, I remember um, uh, t- before Twitch, the company was called uh, Justin TV, I believe. Right. And Justin TV was like one of the first streaming platforms out there. And if we think about this, it was ahead of its game. Our internet wasn't able to properly stream on Justin TV. I remember having to refresh my screen every like two minutes because it just wouldn't work. Yeah. But when we look at 5G network, right, streaming will be a lot faster, right? So we're, I mean, we already see it right now. We're able to have this conversation through, uh, like on uh, uh, this video call, being able to have it streamed online on StreamYard or whatever. And yeah. it's, I mean, we're, no one's having a hiccup here, right? So this experience will be amplified a thousand times by 5G. Um, this how is just you, me. How, how do you keep track of that? Like, should you, as an entrepreneur, should you be someone? Because I personally, for me, like, I'm, I'm like, we have these conversations a lot, and, and I know we're always, we're always, you know, it's always like a back and forth, and we sometimes argue about it because I'm someone who actually like really doesn't like spending time on social media. I really don't like. Mm-hmm keeping up with the news. And uh, I really just like focusing on my thing, which is doing my work and, um, you know, working on my business and that's it. And I understand that probably might be counterintuitive because it might cause missed opportunities. What is like a good balance of that? Like what, what should be something that we keep up with? Should it be specific to our industry? Should we follow specific, 
you know, outlets that talk about, you know, innovation within our, within our industries that we're working in business or yeah. What's a good middle ground? Basically, basically in the software development world, there's a process called the spiral model and the spiral model, basically uh, the, the philosophy behind the spiral model is understanding that your product uh, or your project is never completed. Okay. Previously in engineering, you would build a bridge, and then as soon as the workers left the bridge, it's been it's completed. It's in right. God's hands now. You know, uh, you could the you know you have more luck praying than than restarting the bridge. Um, right. So uh, basically, in the spiral model, when it comes to software, when it comes to and it and it and it could be even applied to anything else and and, and other types of products in the in 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 the in the market. It's you need to constantly iterate the project, the project or the product. Okay. It yes. means that you develop, you de so basically every every uh, maybe six months or a year, you go through the six seven steps of the spiral model. Okay. I don't know the seven steps by heart. It's more of a philosophy, right? So you could check it out for the for for the specific details. But basically, the spiral model allows you to just. Um, uh, Add new features, test them out, show it to a couple of new followers, uh, then do um, uh, how do you call it again? Um, uh, not a strength test, but a, uh, a, a stress test. Stress test. Stress there test. Stress um, test. Yeah. Make sure it doesn't break. If it does, fix it, and then you repeat this a thousand times. So the thing, and what I'm trying to say here is that um, is that. Um, when we look at uh, 5G or other disruptive technologies that are coming up, um, every year we need to cycle around and see what's available in the market. There are there are um, uh, leaders in these industries that are that are. I mean, when you keep up with um, when you keep up with uh, what's it called again with larger companies like Apple, they're kind of. I mean, whatever you know, there's there's gatekeepers of information out there that are aware of this information before us. So we need to keep we need to we we need to look at these innovative companies like Tesla and Apple and see what what are they aware of and what do what are they letting us know about right because there might be a better technology than five G but if it's not adopted by people today then it's irrelevant right and right. um, just just want to uh, link this up just uh, to another anecdote that I have it's there's a company out there called VMware and VMware what they do. Is that they allow you to uh, log into a virtual computer, right? Right. Yeah. And, virtual and machine. Virtual machine, right? And what's special about virtual machine is that it's um, it's more secure in a sense where um, you can that. I mean, if there's a um, in cybersecurity, anything that you want to do that is um, that could uh, bring a vulnerability, you do it on a virtual machine because if it breaks, it breaks. And then you, you know, that's not, it's not your actual machine, so it doesn't matter. Mm -hmm. um, and I mean, what we're seeing right now is that um, when we're looking at the Chromebook, for example, it's basically everything is 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 connected to, to the cloud. So yeah. you're 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 basically we we've developed a a, a a storage in the cloud that we're able to connect to. Right. But with five G now. There's nothing us. There's nothing stopping us from outsourcing our processors, our CPU of our computers, to a new cloud, 
and just bank on the this and just use the resources from that invisible virtual, machine, virtual right. CPU and just bank on the speed of 5G to to um, to just do the regular process that we need to do. Right. right, and you can see that even in like like to explain to people because we're getting really technical and deep here. So I want I want to simplify it for our listeners. We're like, what are like I come completely lost. I have no idea what this guy's talking about. So I want to I want to simplify it. So what we're communicating here, and essentially the, the easy way to explain it is, and I want to there's two tangents that I want to make. Number one is that it's really any SaaS, which is software as a service. If you guys think of uh, us using Streamyard right now, uh, we're streaming thanks to Streamyard and there is no program called StreamYard on my computer. I don't have a StreamYard app. My computer is actually not even processing this video. What I'm doing is I'm on a web browser and I'm, you know, it's taking my webcam video, it's taking the audio, it's taking the webcam and audio from Rami and it's putting it together and it's putting it out there to Facebook, to YouTube. And, and it's StreamYard as a company that's processing this video and putting it out to people like, all I have to do is open the web page and I, and I can do this. And what you're saying, what Rami is trying to say is that with 5G, you're going to have such a quick internet speed, such a fast speed that you're going to be able to do this not only for just a single app like StreamYard, but maybe for your entire computer. All the apps that you want, all the apps that you use, you don't ne- you don't ever have to install them on your computer again and you know run them on the computer and rely on your processing power. All you need to do is you know open up a web page and you know you could launch, let's say Skype, or even you can already do that today. But let's say you know you could launch Adobe Premiere, let's say from a web page. You don't need to download it and, and process or, or, it. Or even just the resources that will then be using the information on the cloud will be from the CPU. Anyways, yeah. Yeah, exactly, hundred percent. And it's mm-hmm. but so what you're communicating through that, and there's two things I want I want to also I want to also bring as a tangent because one is that. You know, you, you mentioned this is in, in the world of software development where the product is never done. I think it's very much also in the world of providing services and in the world of providing products. Mm-hmm. Your product is never really done. Your service is never really done. You always have to constantly innovate, especially in this market. You can't just release one product and be like, this is it for life. We're done. We're going to keep making sales. Like you need to keep innovating. And okay, what's the next step? You know, because when you look at companies that don't innovate, that just stayed with their product, think Blockbuster, right? Like Blockbuster is a company that, you know, I remember when I was a kid, we used to go to, going to Blockbuster on Friday night, man. That was like, that was like a treat. You know, you walk in there, you have all this DVDs on, on the wall. The smell of popcorn. It's the smell of popcorn. You know, you buy for yourself a popcorn bag, you pick the latest movie and you only had a few choices, like like maximum 16 new releases out there. And you had, you pick one, you rent it out, you bring it back, you know, and that's it. But what the, the, the problem with Blockbuster is that they thought like, this is it. We have our product. It's working. We're profitable. We're, we're good. And with the advent of Netflix and stream, online streaming, what happened is that people stopped having to, the, the need for going out and picking a movie just vanished because now you have a library full of movies available to you instantly on your TV. So because Blockbuster didn't innovate, because they didn't think of the shift in consumer behavior and the trends in business that are now happening, they went out of business. So the reason why this, co- this concept, this topic is so important is because if you don't, you know, if you don't keep up with these trends, if you don't keep up with what are the shifts in consumer behavior that are happening right now, 
and how do they affect, affect my product and service and how can I tailor, how can I change my product and service to adapt to this change in consumer behavior to new technology that is, that is, that is appearing than your competitors will and it's going to put you out of business, right? It's going to put you out of business. Go for it. Yeah, I just want to add that, um, you know, being aware of your weaknesses is important, but also finding value in our competitors as well. In a sense where um, when we look at, um, I mean, because we asked, um, Blockbuster made an offer to buy Netflix um, when it when when it was very a lot very too late, right? Right. Um, and my question is, would have assuming that Blockbuster would have gotten the deal, would they have been able to make Netflix the success that it is today? And right. honestly, I do not necessarily think so because it's at the end of the day, there's also the culture and it's the culture of Netflix that is making it grow. Right. And, and there, it's the strategic acquisition that they're doing. It's the employees that they have, it's the management. And so it goes into noticing what's being done in the market, but then really understanding, I mean, if a good leader would know when to step down or who to hire. Right. Mm -hmm. And right. understand, and I feel like this is where the strength is. And just another thing that I wanted to mention is that um, so in the early 1900s, after the, the Great Depression, uh, the government in the United States put up a law called uh, planned obsolescence or whatever. Basically, obsolescence, yeah. yeah uh, so basically, it just states that products need to fail after a certain amount of years. Right. And and which is great for it brings in shareholder value because. If you build the light bulb that doesn't break and that lasts forever, then you're cannibalizing your own market in a sense where now uh, you no one's going to buy light bulbs anymore, right? Mm -hmm. So the light bulb, I think, was the first uh, product which really showed that uh, we've purposefully built them in a way that it breaks uh, or that it doesn't last more than like six years. And But now this model also is, has changed. Um, now there's also called products as a service, right? which goes beyond software. So for example, Philips, one of the biggest producers of light bulbs today, uh, has decided to sell their light bulbs to municipalities as a service. So really, so now their light bulbs will not, I mean, you pay them a flat fee every month and they're in charge of making sure that, they're, that their light bulbs don't break, right? So you pay wow. them, I don't know, maybe I don't know how much, how much municipalities pay in light bulbs a year, but you pay that as a monthly fee, like a Netflix subscription, and then and then if it breaks, Philips replaces it for free, right? Or it's part of the service. Right. So now the challenge now is that Philips, it's in their best interest to build a product that doesn't break, right? Right. So 100%. so so we're seeing that. Um, I mean, but but they're securing the revenue through a recurring revenue model. Exactly, but but the recurring right. model the recurring model is better for the consumer and the business. Let's just say I buy a, um, we look at this with dishwashers and these uh, drying machines and these washing machines, um, they break every eight years. But right. what if instead of paying $2,000 every eight years, I spent $50 a month, right? Mm -hmm. For the rest of my life. I, I, am, I mean, I am reassured that the dishwasher will be the most innovative dishwasher at all times. The competition is looking for my 50 bucks a month. Mm -hmm. uh, whether it costs more money at the end of eight years or not, it doesn't really matter because first of all, it's a cheaper uh, upfront investment, right? So you don't need to, I mean, not everyone has $2,000 in their bank account at all times to just buy a new dishwasher and 
and this whole kit when it breaks. And also, you don't want to buy a product that is that is that is incentivized to break. So you prefer to invest in this product as a service model. Note that any at any time I will have a replacement. It will always be up and working. It will always be always be performing. And if I'm not satisfied with this specific company, I could break my membership and pivot towards a, a newer one. Right, hundred percent. And and I wanna I wanna just uh, add something to that, Rami. And it's that uh, you know when you think of as well like sir, because a lot of our audience, you know, and we want to make sure that you know they leave this episode with a million golden nuggets, and I'm sure they have already. But you know, there are service providers. There are people who you know, our coaches, consultants, people who have small e-commerce stores. We're talking about these big brands. We're talking about these big movements. But how can how can these these small startup entrepreneurs? How can they how can they adapt and pivot? What are what are things that they can do? Is it by focusing on a specific subset of the market, a very specific problem, and just focusing on that? What is, I mean, what is in your opinion? What should they do? Yeah, go for it. So yeah, because I, I see one of the questions here is what can entrepreneurs do without the budget of Netflix? And at the end of the day, yeah. it's very easy, you know, to talk about how these big companies are doing great things when um, I mean they are backed by venture capital firms that have more money than all of us co- combined together, right? right. Um, so I think that um, we could scale this down, right, to mm-hmm. to 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 the to the size of, of our own municipality or whatever, or, or whatever, right? So um, I think it's more about, um, I mean, when we're looking at these big companies, what, what makes them big is that they, 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 um, they align themselves with the trend. They were, they, were, they were at the right time, at the right place at the right time, and that's great. Now the question is, um, there's a lot to learn from them and how could we apply it to every day? And my question here is, as coaches, as small, medium-sized businesses, are we offering a product that is optimized, right? Are we, is there a way, I mean, we look at a lot of, um, a lot of uh, consulting firms, right, will, will, will bill by the hour, right? right. Or, or they'll, they'll, you know, or they'll charge a upfront cost. Is this really the best? Is this? I mean, we should ask ourselves with the new technologies out there, right? With Patreon, with recurring billing, with Shopify, with all these things out there, is our way of doing things today? Uh, is it? Is are are people doing business with us because it's the only solution out there? And as soon as there's a a, a product or a solution that is more convenient, will they pivot towards that solution instead? Right. So. Just to, just to give you guys a, a bit of a smaller example, this is a company in Toronto that didn't start with millions of dollars of funding, and that company is called Second Closet. And um, like just like any, I mean, Toronto is a very um, fast-growing city. Uh, apartments here are the size of a shoebox. Uh, it's very, very small. It's, I mean, uh, I've heard of the bad, um, of how bad things are in Tokyo, but I'm honestly feeling like it's getting like this here in Toronto, right? And when you're paying for a studio in t- downtown Toronto, you'll pay anywhere around $1,500 to $1,700 a month. Right. Your studio has no place for storage. And generally, what you would do in the two, three years ago, you would you would rent a locker at um, at one of these uh, these storage companies. That are owned by these big firms for 80 90 dollars a month or whatever 
but then you would have the challenge of you yourself taking your goods and services to that locker. That in itself is a taxi ride that would cost you $50 or whatever going back, right? And you would need a van and it's a, it's a very big challenge. This small company, Second Closet, what they did is they realized that there's probably real estate outside of Toronto that is extremely cheap, one hour, two hours away. And their business model is they take a truck, drive it to downtown Toronto, pick up everything from everyone for free, and then drop it off at their storage. And then you could take it out at any moment free of charge and only pay a monthly fee for the space for the for the space that you're taking. And mm. it's much cheaper because you're not you're not putting it in the locker in downtown Toronto, which costs another thousand dollars a month. You're putting it in the suburb of the suburb of Toronto, right? So you're probably paying 90% less per square feet. And at the end of the day, this is a model that I feel is a very low barrier to enter this field, right? Mm -hmm. And you've honestly- It's innovative. It's innovative in a sense where it just makes business sense. These big companies, I mean, I I forgot what are these, um, I mean, U-Haul, for example, right? They're looking for the most central real estate, downtown Toronto. They'll buy the where- a warehouse. They'll store it all inside and they'll charge you a hefty fee. But is that really the best way of doing storage, mm-hmm. right? Like people who need storage probably don't even own the car, right, to bring it out to you in a sense where it's in highly urban, dense uh, cities, right? Right. In Toronto, you could navigate around town by subway or car. It's actually more efficient to do so than by uh, by subway or metro. It's much more efficient to do so than, than owning a car, especially with the super high premiums for insurance, right? You're paying $400, $500 a month in insurance. What's the point? So the thing is, is that you have this company two hours outside of Toronto. Every day they come downtown, pick up your stuff, drop it off in their warehouse, and it's uh it's it's probably cheaper for them to pay the people to drive downtown than to just own real estate downtown right, right. and that's, that makes sense well the thing is is that i mean is a question to ask ourselves is is our business built in a way where it's possible to even scale mm-hmm. are we doing things the most efficient the, the efficient way the the most efficient um method the most there? efficient way possible yeah and and i and i agree with that and i think you know, no matter how small you are, there's room to innovate. And I think, you know, when we talk, think about coaches, consultants, service providers, little, you know, small e-commerce store owners, even yourself, custom heats. I want to, I want to, I want to, I want to go full circle. I want to bring it back to custom heats. Okay. And you founded custom heats. It's a custom hot sauce. You founded it. Now, of course you landed on the hit show CBC dragons then, but even before you landed on there, you had already started the business and you had already started producing and selling to consumers in your own. Can you tell me, did you need, you know, a venture capitalist funding to be able to do that? What did you do to innovate in a way where you brought a completely new product to the market, but you did it using limited resources, right? How did you do that? Can you just walk us through yeah. that process? So we, we were just going back to the graph. I looked at the graph that I've done earlier, right? right. Um, and I was this graph that 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 uh, means a lot to me, but probably doesn't mean a lot to people who just chimed in right now and and see just like a, I don't know. Right. Can a, you a can you, re- you can erase it and redo it if you want, or yeah. move um, the screen basically, away. Basically, we we look at this graph over here, and I looked at this and I said, how about I 
make a product that will fit the needs. Uh, yeah, anyways, uh, I'll develop a product that will fit the needs of as many people on this curve. And the best way to do it would be by allowing people to design their own hot sauce. Mm -hmm. By doing so, I don't need to anticipate anyone disrupting me because people are ordering exactly what they want. And I'm also developing a product that is way too, uh, that a bigger company would never be able to establish the processes to compete with us because it's just a logistical nightmare that only a small team could could solve. Mm -hmm. Because there are certain, there's room for that. And when you look at that graph, it's like we're looking at the little gap here uh, that you filled in. Uh, but I'm, I'm, I hope people can understand anyways, at least even in audio form what we're talking about. But essentially, you found like a very specific subset of the market that you could serve and it's people who wanted to customize their own hot sauce, right? And and that's, I think, I think that's key as well. And we talk a lot as business owners and even in our mentorship program, when it comes to being specific on your target audience and, and having a specific niche for your product, for your service, even as a coach or consultant, because if you're, if you're trying to cater to everyone, you're going to cater to no one. And, and again, you have these big companies, you have these big, you know, brands that cater to everyone. So the key for us as small business owners is to tap into these small, very specific markets that have specific needs and demands and they're not being catered to, right? Because either the big brands don't have time or it's just not profitable enough to cater to these this very specific small subset of a market, right? And so you want to also think... Uh, I mean, last episode, we interviewed uh, an awesome Muslim entrepreneur sister called uh, Khawla Abtoush, and she actually founded a brand called Dignity. And Dignity in that brand, what they do is they essentially create modest sportswear. So they create sportswear, but for Muslim women, so it's not skin tight. It's, you know, it's longer, so it covers, you know, your private parts and all that. And she is targeting a very specific subset of the population, Muslim women or women who want to dress modestly at the gym. And providing a specific solution for that. And that is what is, you know, helping her grow that business and create a ripple in the market and be successful. Whereas if she's just like, I'm just going to create another leggings company. I'm just going to create another fitness company and it's going to be t-shirts, but they're going to have my brand instead of Nike. That's not very original and it's not going to get you very far, right? Like there has to be, who are you serving specifically and what specific problem are you solving? And is it a problem that has been solved before? Do you want to comment on that, Rami? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, um, you know, these there's there's it's a cycle, right? These these bigger brands become complacent, and this is where we need to kind of get at them and attack them. It's in their complacency, right? So right. If, if we're going to copy only the bad things that they're doing, right, which is just developing a single branded clothing or whatever, we're not going to go anywhere. I just want to take this a bit one step back as well, right? So this is a company that I discovered yesterday. Okay. Right before I watched my video about the Turkish property guy. Um, so this company is called MSHF.XYZ. I think it's pronounced mischief. And what they do, this is a, a viral company, right? Every single product they create goes viral. And basically, they, re they release a new product every two weeks. And uh, you cannot... You could only buy during that two weeks period. So if you scroll back up, up, up to the top of the, uh, to the, um, sorry, if you scroll to the middle of the website, yeah, uh, you'll see that 
currently the only product you could buy is the king of the clicks. So, um, what is, yeah, which is a product. Uh, Let me, uh, I'm, I'm sharing my screen right now. Yeah. We'll see what it is. So this so, is interesting. So they're using like, they're using very limited, like they're using a, what's it called? It's kind of like, you know, if you think of like Supreme and these brands like that, they, they use very, uh, how do you call it? Like ex exclusivity essentially, right? Like their product is exclusive and it's available for a very limited time. And they're really capitalizing on ex exclusivity essentially. So this week, I think it's just a video game, right? So every two weeks they release a new product. Uh, the week, I think two weeks ago, it was a, a puzzle that you order. It's like, I think it's like, uh, it's $40. Wow. It's a, it's, it was $40 for the puzzle. And once you, once you assemble it, the puzzle, it generates a QR code. And if you scan the QR code, you could win a chance to win like $10,000. Right. So, so obviously it's like, it, it's not the most halal idea as in it's, uh, it's, it's, I mean, it could, it's, it's some form of of of, uh, of lottery, right? But the thing is, it's just the vision behind this. Every two weeks, they release a new viral product, and you could only buy it for two weeks. And you, after those two weeks, you cannot email them being like, "I want to buy it." No, it's done. It's only the two weeks. Right. And to, and by doing this, they have they create this community of people that want to look at your that 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 want to keep up with what your products are. And buy it just in case they don't not be able to buy it any any anytime. Right. Like, like they're really capitalizing on like yeah. the feeling of missing out and exclusivity. We got Riz FOMO. <laughs> yeah, so they're really oh, capitalizing on that. Like, huh? yeah, like it's a thousand percent FOMO. It's so really the, really interesting. But the thing is, is that the the if you order from them once, you'll check out every two weeks. I don't know if you guys heard of Humble Bundle, but they sell bundled video games every month. There's a new one, and it's right. just like. You get like 20 games for the price of like one or for like 10 bucks or whatever. Right. And this company, Mischief, just develops new products every two weeks. And someone did an investigation to this company yes, um, a few weeks ago, uh, CoffeeZilla on YouTube. You guys can check him out. He did a, an investigation, and, and it turns out that this company, Mischief, then owns another company that rebrands these products and sells them at all times. Oh wow! So the ones that work, <laughs> so the ones that work are then sold. They're, they're then sold um, at all times, and they know it will sell out. Like they know people will Google it, and, and they'll be able to find it. But it's still not affiliated publicly. The, the The investigation found out they were affiliated because they have the same address in Brooklyn. Mm -hmm. So uh, they have the same return address, but it's two different companies, right? It's two wow. different websites, two different everything. So the thing is, is that. This is this. I mean, this fits our our our, our spiral model of kind of rapid uh, prototyping. They develop a product. They have yeah. to sell it. If it sells well, put it on this other website. Yeah, that's honestly that, that's like super rapid. I mean, I've never that. This is next level rapid prototyping. And there's one more question I want to ask you. I know we're like almost at an hour, so we're almost up with our time. But I want to ask you one more. And it's you know what is because it's actually one of the things I want to talk about: speed of implementation. Right, speed of implementation is speed of implementation important in our market today? Because a lot of you know, I'm always working with coaches, consultants, service providers, and and entrepreneurs, and it's always like the struggle is like, guys, it's all good if it's good enough. Let's put something out there, and you iterate as you go. You have to you'll iterate based on the feedback of your consumers. Like you got to be quick. So what is that balance for you? Like is speed of implementation important 
uh, in our market today? And how do we find the balance between perfect and good enough? So I think that um, we we what we need to seek is maybe not a perfect product, but a perfect process mm. in a sense where our product will never be perfect. And it's always going to be and we always hope that it's going to be good enough. Right. So it's less about having the perfect product, just a perfect process. Do you have the proper uh, time management to reiterate on your product? Do you have the proper uh, awareness of the market needs? Do you have the proper awareness of the new technologies? If you do, then rest assured, your product is still not perfect, but at least it's um, it's prop it's it's better than the pre than the one that you had previously, right? Yeah. Um, also, um, my um, on our I mean, I remember reading the story of a company called Steve Madden. Yes, I, I, um, they have a documentary on Netflix. Yes, I, and I love the documentary. It's every entrepreneur should watch to watch it. It's amazing. It's crazy because um, you know the the best. I mean, they they had uh, thousands of people walking into their stores every day, and they realized that. Um, this is where, I mean, they could test in their own stores. So they would develop a new shoe, put it into their stores. If it's sold in less than 30 minutes, they would mass produce it. Right. Yeah. So that's, yeah. it's getting that basically the, the importance of, of, of rapid prototyping is just getting feedback. Cause if you, if you, if you work on a project over a year, 100%. And you don't have that feedback, then you need to ask yourself, is there a possibility that I'm wasting my, my time, right? Mm -hmm. um, so I think this rapid prototyping is extremely important. Is, is, um, is I mean, I, mean uh, I, I can't comment for the coaching industry because it's, it's not something that I'm, that I'm totally aware of, but yeah. are you able to, um, are you, are you able to, to, to um, flirt with the new boundaries, right? Mm -hmm. Are you able to push the boundaries and see, I mean, it's okay if it doesn't work. I mean, just make sure you're not ruining your, your customers. Uh, uh, you're not giving a harmful advice or anything, but are you able to try to see if you can do things differently and maybe get a better result? And it comes with risk. Yeah, 100%. And I agree. I really love that. In Essentially, in the documentary, and every entrepreneur should watch that, it shows you this process. Like It's it's rapid prototyping, as you mentioned. They make a shoe. They put it out there. They test it out. Is it selling? All right, we produce it. It doesn't sell? Done. And that's what I always, you know, when, I, when I'm coaching my, my students and other entrepreneurs, it's always what we focus on. It's, all right, let's get something out. Let's put it out. And let's get the feedback. Let's get the feedback. Let's reiterate. And then we improve the product. If you constantly, if you're sitting there behind a screen thinking, this is like this is the more perfect thing, and you spend years building it, and then you put it out, and you hear crickets. Like that's it; you wasted years of your life. And I, there's so many books on that, right? Like there's the um, and there's another book, uh, the Lean Startup, right? That talks about that. And there's there's a lot of resources. And I and I think most big companies have adopted adopted this mindset of the minimum viable product, right? And I think as entrepreneurs, especially for us, be with limited resources. Like you want to develop a process where you can quickly test, you can quickly iterate and find out, do, does my audience want this? Do they not want this? You know, and, and, it's, and I think the advent of social media is a great way to do this, right? And as in, if you build a social media following for your brand, for your company, whether you're on, you're, whether you're on, on any platform whatsoever, you can put out a post and be like, hey guys, we're, we're working on this or we're planning to work on this. Would anyone be interested or would you be interested in a product that achieves X? Would you be interested in a program that does Y and ask your audience and communicate with them 
and see what they think about it or ask them literally, what do you guys want? Right? What is your biggest challenge with X? What is your biggest challenge with Y? Whatever sector or field you're in and provide that solution. One last point. Um, yeah. I remember um, um, uh, reading about this recently. It's, it's also um, making sure that your sample for the advice and feedback that you get isn't biased. So there's mm. something called the survival bias, mm. right? So um, there's uh, we all heard the story of uh, I think it was like the British Royal Air Force or whatever, who um, they would patch the uh, they would every time a plane would come back from war, they would patch the bullet holes from the airplane because this was from their insight that was where it was the most likely that an airplane would get hit. However, mm -hmm. uh, this is a survival bias because you should probably put. Um, armor wherever the bullets didn't hit because that's probably means the jets that, that didn't make it back, this is where they got hit. Hmm. Right? Right. So, right. so you, there's the survival. So you need to also be assured that are do you have survival bias? Are you asking when you're in your coaching industry, are you asking the customers that found a job or that you know that are that are thriving if your coaching program works? You know? Or, you know, like there's this survival bias that we need to just be reassured of and make sure that uh, right. we're also taking account of. Yeah, it's true. And you mentioned a great point, which I always, you know, we talk about as well. And it's kind of like always ask your your unhappy clients, people who didn't decide to buy why they chose not to. Right. Because those are where you're going to get the best feedback. Now, we're running a little bit out of time. So I want to dive into Q&A with you, Rami, if that's OK. Can you, do you still have another 10 minutes to do with us? Oh, for sure. Awesome. So we have a few questions that uh, have come in across this podcast as we dove in. The first one, um, let me just pull it up here. And it was from Sister Saba, who's right here. Let me just pull it up. All right. So we got often viral trends uh, promote sometimes fake news or immodesty, which we don't want to indulge in. How do we still take advantage of viral trends? Now, of course, we're talking in this business in this context of business trends, which not like viral trends on TikTok or something like that. But what's your opinion on that question? I think that um, there's, you know, um, I think it's uh, a lot of companies will, um, as you said, right, uh, use uh, non-modest strategies to attract customers. However, I do think that current trends today are showing that this is not the most, I mean, uh, in a in a positive way, one of the uh, growing trends that will make your product thrive and rightfully is having this inclusive approach. And uh, banking on inclusivity, first of all, fits at least my uh, understanding of how society should be. And it is modest and it is um, appropriate. So I feel like um, I think that. Um, we need to remember what our product really is about. Who's the community that we're trying to thrive? Because, I mean, immodesty and these other forms of uh, non-halal ways of advertising could work. It will work for their markets though, right? And we need to remember, I mean, we, we can't apply things that work for some brand and then apply it for us. I mean, just, I find it extremely impressive that Abby built an entire brand around exactly just that. Uh, uh, a coaching, a community of Muslim like-minded entrepreneurs, and then just double dipping on this, right? So I feel like 
I mean, I don't think Abby will ever start doing a promotion with some alcoholic company or whatever because his other competitors are doing it and it's working for them. It obviously won't work for us. So I feel it's just like, do we have this proper connection with our with our community? And right. is, and are we able to to are we are we communicating to them in the ways that it matters? So using if your community wants modest, honest advertising, there's an entire company called the Honest Company, which basically just makes products that has no chemical products that can be read that only has three or four ingredients. So I feel like this market, we don't want the the immodest, the market of immodest people or whatever. It works for some, but we don't we don't need to get into this. Let's focus on our community. Right, hundred percent. That's an amazing and excellent answer, man. I really, really like that answer. Uh, and we got one more as well, uh, which is, uh, and I want to just tackle a little bit. I know we kind of glanced over it during the during the the podcast, but I also just want to really reiterate it one last time uh, and answer it properly. And it's what can entrepreneurs do without the budgets of you know Netflix and other giant companies. So for for all our startup entrepreneurs that are watching this right watching this right now what's something that we can give them a little nugget to take away i know we've already given so much but i want to give them you know something to remember when it comes to how to capitalize on on business trends how to iterate and and really serve a specific subset of the market uh successfully is there anything that we can we can give them that they can walk away with so, sorry can you repeat that yeah. So with the question, oh, okay. what can small, yeah, small startup entrepreneurs, yeah. what can we give them to walk away? Small nugget. Uh, I think that um, we need to just, just kind of iterating back, right? Finding unique strategies to grow and scale. Um, right. I mean, remembering that um, maybe we're not going to grow at the, at the rate of Netflix or whatever, go from zero to a hundred million subscribers in the first five years or whatever finding a sustainable growth, ensuring that our product uh, that are, I mean, just again, right? Uh, we, when we look at some of the most successful marketing strategies, it's um, uh, word of mouth, right? So is your product available? I mean, is is your product giving of the proper experience that will want people to communicate about this, right? And if we just do this, we will be able to have the growth that is needed for us to uh, to make through it. Yeah, hundred percent. It's really all. It's really a combination of everything we've discussed on this podcast. Of really, as you mentioned, and as you've done so successfully with Custom Heats, this to find a specific problem within a subset of, of of a specific niche of a specific target audience, and and really fix that problem in an innovative way, uh, and really bring something fresh and new and refreshing to the market. And I think that's where you can really succeed. So Rami, I really appreciate you joining me on this podcast, my man. It was a pleasure. I know we went over the one hour, but I appreciate you staying on, sharing so many golden nuggets with our audience. And I want to ask you, where can people connect with you? Where should they follow you? Uh, where can they support you if they want to know more? Yeah, they could always uh, message me on Facebook or uh, also on my Instagram account, Official Custom Heats. Uh, email rami at customheats.com. Uh, and just any, 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 I mean, I try to answer any, any email that I get. Right. So awesome. if you find a way to get a hold of me, that's fine. Awesome. I really appreciate that, man. That's really, really generous of you. And that's just a little quick bonus that you get for watching the entrepreneur life podcast guys, where I interview Muslim entrepreneurs at the top of their game every week. And Rami, thank you so much for joining me today. It was honestly an honor. There's mm -hmm. so many lessons that I've also learned that I'm going to take away now and apply to my business. 
no lie, because I've learned so much on this episode. So I hope, I hope if you, if you're listening that you've learned as well, and you've been taking notes and if you're watching on YouTube, listening on podcast on uh, Apple podcasts or Spotify uh, or Stitcher, any of the audio platforms, make sure to subscribe, leave us a positive comment or rating because we're still trying to grow this thing and really bring you more amazing guests, more value every week. So support us every single subscribe or follow matters. We'll see you in the next week. Take care guys. Assalamualaikum. Thank you. Thank you.